We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the disinformation dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I'm Dr. Brogan, and I am here with my girlfriend, who does not know me as Dr. Brogan. (laughs) That already sounded weird. Who has gone by several rebirth iterations, first Tatiana, then Trinity Devi, and now Akasha Shakira Devi. And if you're in Vital Life Project, my online membership community, you would have seen her share about daily detox rituals that are inspired by Ayurveda. And there are so many things that Akasha can share about from whirling and Sufism to Kundalini, which is a lot of our early connection, having done you know Kundalini training myself and find 
the experience that I've had in your classes has been superlative. Like there's something that you channel through that technology, which I know we've both sort of grappled with how to relate to it at this point. Yeah. All the way to sound and gong. And what I want to focus on today is just a sliver of your mastery and expertise, but potentially the most important element. Mm -hmm. And that is the art of embodiment. So Yesterday, we spent the day together. I attended a workshop that you put on and I was so lit up that I grabbed you onto the podcast immediately to talk about this because there's a pre-existing episode that I recorded a solo on embodiment as activism. And it is my passionate belief that coming into this sacred vessel is the most disruptive thing that you can do to everything that feels misaligned in our experience as humans today. So, you know, I've, I spoke in our, you know, experience yesterday a bit about my embodiment journey, right? Which started with health reclamation and then sort of moved on to sensuality and pleasure reclamation, which I'm still working with, and then into expression, creative artistic expression, you know, voice, dance, sewing, whatever it is. And how to me, embodiment is sensation plus awareness. And I want to sort of tee you up with that to invite you to share what it means to you and why you think in all of the skills and practices and all of the deep spiritual exploration that you have engaged, like why this, right? Like why focus on this? And I want to unpack in this conversation, a lot of practical, useful application of this very theoretical concept of embodiment, which honestly, I think a lot of people think embodiment means feeling good in your body, right? And there is so much more to it than that. And that's why we vibe because you and I have a deep interest in both the darkness and yeah. the light. So yeah, first of all, welcome. And second of all, I would love to hear, you know, what is embodiment to you and why does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for all that. Uh, thank you for coming yesterday. That was so, so delightful to have you in the, in the workshop. So just to backtrack a little bit for me, like I was from a very early age, very engaged in my body. And I've been very engaged in my body my whole life, basically. And what you were saying about, you know, your steps for reclamation, I would like to say that we are in constant reclamation of our embodiment. It doesn't matter even what our experiences are, because we, we ebb and flow with this so much, you know, like you were talking about reclamation of pleasure. This was for me, something that was always very available at a, at an early age, but that maybe after childbirth, I had to go back and reclaim that again, you know, after motherhood and, and, and all this. So it's almost like we, we are continuously cycling and recycling and reclaiming ourselves over and over again. And it's important because we feel we live in a world that takes us out of body most of the time. One, because of our daily activities, you know, that always bringing us into, into mental, mental focus. 
And second of all, also because, especially as women, but also men, I believe, go through this, there is a lot of shame and a lot of suppression and a lot of things that we are taught from and programmed from very early age that what we feel in our body is not okay. Yeah. And, and I, for me, embodiment, so going back to your question now, embodiment for me is, you know, the word itself implies something is embodying. So really reclaiming and connecting deeper to the source of what is this thing that is alive in this suit, you know, in this body, what is this thing? So it's that much higher, much bigger part of ourselves, spirit, God, whatever you want to call higher consciousness, but that wants to squeeze into this body to, to give it life, to express, right? So it's like the body itself is the instrument, is the vessel for our higher spirit. And that is the part we want to embody. So in a way, yes, we feel good in our body when we are ease with all that we are. So there is an element of pleasure and feeling good, but it's not just that. And that was something we, we talked about yesterday. You no, know, I don't know if you want me to begin unpacking that or if you want to, you know, to, to guide the conversation elsewhere first. But that is, you know, really embodiment to me is being at ease with our wholeness, all that we are, nothing to hide, nothing to suppress, just comfortable and sometimes comfortable in the discomfort of what's right. showing up. Right. So that unconditionality. Yeah. I want to unpack, you know, the, the incredible sort of journey, you know, we went on yesterday. I want to talk first about what you brought up because which the idea of suppression and performance has been very forefront of my mind. And you made a, a point yesterday that I thought was really profound, which is that it only takes one other human being. And honestly, I would say one other being, because even when I am alone with my animals in my home, I behave differently. You know, like I might think twice about walking across my yard because then my chickens are going to come over to me and they might want a snack and maybe, you know, there's resting and I should just stay on my seat or whatever, like literally. So one other being induces an experience of suppression and curation and performance. And I have personally been working a lot with these performer parts within me and recognizing the role that this experience of spontaneity <laughs> plays in my own liberation. And you spoke exactly to that yesterday. And I said, well, this must be archetypal then, right? This, this coming alive into the spontaneous, into the improvisationally lived life. And you, you called it action from uncertainty, Right. So like taking action from this, this place that isn't a pre-programmed, predetermined, like well-worn path, that that may be what allows us to just come into that unconditional experience of our, of our bodies. So, you know, the idea of spontaneity, I think is, it's not something I hear a lot of people talking about. And I wonder, you know, how you see that fitting into the this reclamation of the embodied experience. Yeah, so I was a performer for most of my young adult life. And so that was something that was very innate and programmed in me from very, very early age because I came from a family that admired and was a family of performers also, no? So I was very always rewarded for that, let's say. 
So later in my reclamation path, what I realized is that how much of that was holding me back, right? Because when I'm here, even having this conversation with you, I can cater my mannerisms and my speech to impress you, or I can just be me, <laughs> right? And that might not impress you, but that might not even impress your audience right now, right? And, and how are we okay with that? So there, there's nothing wrong with performance and performance plays a role in our lives, absolutely. But it's important to have full awareness of that gear, you know, when we engage that gear and be able to disengage that gear, because it really, as much as like, it can create a sense of false confidence, but at the same time, that false confidence will always keep you holding back from your full expression because certain things are not okay in a performance setting. Yeah, it has a performance setting is very curated, is very tailored, is very designed. You know, your movements are designed, your voice is designed, and there's artistry to that. Yet, when that artistry begins to suppress the expression of the artist, you know, that's, and this is what we see with most artistic expression in our, in our society. You know, there's, I don't know, in the music industry, how many young artists become molded and formed to a certain expression when their early expression was something completely different, but maybe it wouldn't sell as many records, right? So again, like we selling ourselves or are we just being ourselves and creating connection, real connection with others? And spontaneity, it's something that, that comes, is allowed, it flows when all these layers of suppression in our channels have been removed. So even what I spoke about yesterday is like that element of catharsis, right? It's, it's one of the first steps to, to enter this path, to, to enter this reclamation of, of embodiment. It's not all of it, it's one step one of the first steps because we have to liberate ourselves because otherwise we create so much tension inside there's no way to be spontaneous you will always be reacting to something in a predictable way instead of responding in a creative way mm. that's the difference you know the spontaneity is something that comes from a creative impulse and the the performance is something that comes from a programmed impulse and there's like a pain in that state, right? Like I've, I've observed it even in my singing, early singing experiences in these past weeks is like, you can almost feel, right? So like I can copy someone singing a melody, right? Yeah. But when I've been asked to do sort of improvisational call and response or, you know, sort of sung conversation, that kind of a thing, the <laughs> exquisite discomfort of that comes from this simultaneous experience of knowing that there's a creative channel that I could liberate myself to enjoy. And then also being feeling pushed out of my performance comfort zone into this like uncertain space of like, 
who knows what might come out of me and probably what will come out of me will be insufficient, embarrassing, or otherwise garner like rejection, judgment, and abandonment, right? Like it goes into these like yeah, very, yeah. very deep places but, and it hurts to be stuck here, right? Like it just sucks. It does. But, but that's exactly it. You know, it's, it's that element of we've been so programmed, you know, to to behave and even people who are not performance, I'm talking, yes, myself, I had, you know, I'm a, I was a trained dancer and, and, and ice skater. So, okay. You know, that was the element I wasn't trained in singing. So of course you put me in a singing situation, which I love. And is what I did when I was little, most of the time dancing and singing, but I didn't train my singing. So now, you know, at this time in my life, I'm starting to try and reclaim that again, you know? But it's a different thing. But we've been so, so programmed to, unless you, something is perfect, you don't share, you don't put yourself out there. You don't, you know, you have to fit, you know, you can't spill the milk when you are a kid, right? There's all these corrections and, and programs. So we lose, we lose spontaneity. And I noticed this so much, even just raising a child, you know, all the times when I was reacting from the wounds of my, the way I was parented, right. And, and throwing that at her and then realizing, oh, wow. Like I just cut a channel of spontaneous creation just by doing that, you know, and then trying to correct through, through the awareness. So we have to go back to that place where we are allowed to make mistakes when we are allowed not to be good at something, you know, and this is how we tap into our own medicine, because talking about singing, one thing is to sing and be a performer singer. Another thing is to use the tones of your voice to create healing in your body. And then we're talking about medicine. We're not talking about performance. Yeah. And medicine can only come from a place of spontaneity. So there are three sort of areas I'd love to touch on, and you've yeah. mentioned some of them, and, and really sort of give everyone a taste of what this can look like. One is catharsis, which you mentioned. The other is emotional alchemy. And then the last is, is toning. And I'd love to just sort of start with <laughs> the framework, which I shared with you yesterday, which is that it has taken me like literally years of growing, maturing, integrating my nervous system so that I can hold myself through the fear of doing it badly, right? doing it wrong to get to the place where I can not perform and suck at something and find that enjoyable, you know, or fulfilling, right? So even just to, to move through what, you know, I'd like to describe for me yesterday felt like a very, you know, pride inducing culmination of a lot of personal work. And it was actually quite easeful, I would say, surprisingly, considering what we're about to describe, and also totally deeply fulfilling. I mean, to the extent that I feel, you know, what you have put together in terms of these practices is something that, you know, people can start to access in their day-to-day -day life now, just to even get a sense for what these concepts of catharsis and how that leads to this freeing of this rigid identity. The idea of emotional alchemy, which of course I, I speak to all the time, but I, I just love the way you depicted it and we experienced it. And then, and then what toning is as, you know, contrasted to voice training or even melodic song and, and singing and expression. So you brought us through 
an experience. And it was, it was just a few minutes in each of these categories of catharsis yesterday. And I, I think it was probably a year or so that I did a weekly Osho dynamic meditation practice with you during the pandemic and really was taken to very, very, very deep places because of the space you hold and also the catharsis that's available through, you know, those practices. So I love it if you could just sort of take us on a tour of why these things, right, that you had us do and sort of paint a picture for what this practice of catharsis looks like to you. Yeah. So what we did yesterday was was a sample, right? Like a, just a sample and just to show you what was possible. Obviously, even with a four hour workshop like we had, it was still not enough time to, you know, to do very long practices. But my inspiration with this is Osho and the incredible practices that he designed for specifically for these times, you know, specifically for these times that we having to to move very quickly and alchemize things in in ways that we don't we wouldn't have enough time otherwise and so you mentioned dynamic meditation this has been a huge huge inspiration for me and huge step on my path of reclaiming spontaneity also but the catharsis can look in many ways. So what we did yesterday, we we laughed, we cried, and we were shaking our bodies and dancing, right? Laughter and crying are incredible healing cathartic practices because you will realize that many times we don't allow these emotions to come through spontaneously, yeah? I remember in one one time, like with some friends, like because I tend to actually laugh quite loud, you know, and I remember somebody making a comment, oh, that was loud. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, it's like, why? But it just reflects what society thinks is that if you're in a group, you shouldn't laugh too loud or nobody should see you cry. Or if you're crying too long or if you're crying too much, there's a problem with you, you know, and because of that, we suppress. And oftentimes when we are dealing in our daily lives with people, we suppress our emotions. Maybe somebody upsets you, but it's a setting where you can't say that you will continue to smile and, 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 and pretend that everything is okay. And if you start noticing how often we go through our lives doing this, you know, smiling when we don't want to smile and or even being pretending to be sad because it's what the occasion is calling for, even though you don't necessarily feel sad. So all these things are, are suppressions, suppressions of feelings. And then when we go into our personal lives and, you know, marriage and kids and all this, there is a lot that we push in and then sexuality, deep, deep, deep suppression energy needs to flow. And when we hold these things, we may think we're holding just the bad things, but we're also holding tight the, the channels where the good things can flow. And so we have to get them out. And this is why sometimes when people begin, let's say Kundalini yoga or certain practices, their lives go crazy. Because why? Because there is a flushing of all the stuff they've been holding in. So catharsis is super important. And when you 
play catharsis with your emotions, like laughing and crying, it helps you release some of the things you've been storing that you might not even remember anymore. They are there. The shaking of the body is super important because shaking, right, releases. It's going to regulate the nervous system. That's what the nervous system does when, when you want to, you know, when you need, it will, it will shake. So the shaking is good. But the most important part for me in all this in the catharsis is, is your level of awareness of what is happening, you know, like what is, is coming up. And to me, what brings you from a practice of shaking that will do just a little bit of a release and a practice of shaking that will create huge changes in your life is your awareness and your attention into the patterns you tend to create. And like I said yesterday, everybody, when they dance, even if you're not a dancer or when they shake, they will have a tendency to do it the same way every time. If you tell somebody, shake your body, they're going to go like this. If you tell them again, two days later, shake your body, they're going to do the same. Yeah. And so when you do that for a long time, you begin to realize, well, there might be other ways I can shake my body, you know, and you can begin to liberate these patterns of behavior, of structured behavior. And what happens when you do that with your body is that it begins to affect your mental patterns also. It begins to liberate those groove ways that, that are so structured in, in the mind. So that takes the practice of Osho dynamic meditation or even Osho Kundalini meditation or any of these active meditations into a deeper process. Because then you actively using the catharsis to not just shake off your stress, but to shake off deep patterns. Yeah. Did I yeah. answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> the concept of pattern disruption and sort of how do you lay fresh snow on the mountain so you can ski new tracks is one of the holy grails, right? If not yeah. the, of, of personal transformation, right? Like how do I get out of the rut I am choosing to stay in over and over and over? It's irresistible. Right. And, and so to dissolve some of these well-worn tracks, I mean, you prompted, right? Like even with the shaking, like how can you shake so that you are being shaken, right? Rather yes. than you are the one shaking. And even just that one prompt for me, my body moved in ways I don't know that it's ever had, like super weird. And you also prompt something that is near and dear to my heart, which is like, how can you, how can you sort of free yourself into the experience of being like that crazy person, right? Like that yes. patient, right? Like these seeming archetypes of the person who is, is possessed by that, which is, you know, uncontrolled beyond control. And, you know, because I am still working with that inner dimension of myself and probably why I became a psychiatrist, you know, it's very liberating also in dynamic meditation to go into this place where you're like, this is what I would look like if I lost it, you know, and, and to yeah. free I imagine that's part of the collective unconscious is like, can I hold it together? And what would it look like if I didn't, right? It's almost seductive. And so I, I found, <laughs> you know, this pattern, I mean, literally just to be clear, like you set a timer and the group of us laughed about nothing in particular for like seven minutes. And then we ride, which was, I think, pretty easy for all of us <laughs> to get to that place. 
and then we did shaking and then we did dancing and, you know, I dance every single day and that experience of, again, not choreographed and not the typical way that I would normally dance. Like, what does the music want to do to my body? Which seems like, well, that's what dancing is. But, you know, with your eyes closed in this kind of a context, that was one of the more pleasurable experiences I've had dancing in recent memory. And I think it had to do with having opened the space that those uncried tears and the unlaughed laughs and, you know, sort of that kinetic movement affords. And that's your, your position, right? Is that this kind of catharsis opens up the possibility for spontaneous lived experience, which requires that you have this open channel and that you be present to the moment. So you're, as you said, you're responding rather than than reacting. And we moved into, from there, practice of emotional alchemy, which is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite phrases. And I, I think it's probably has a limited, I don't know, depth of meaning to a lot of people because it just sounds like, oh yeah, like turn the shit of your life into gold. And yes, it is that. But what is it to simply be with, you know, those emotions that we would rather reject and say no to and push away and dismiss. You offered this beautiful visualization and then embodied practice that I'd love for you to speak more to because it really was, I think, you know, the understanding of alchemy requires a little bit of nuance and depth, right? It's probably a very overused word in the zeitgeist and the way you described it, it was almost like I was in, you know, in the cauldron myself. So I'd love to speak a bit to where we went after the catharsis. I'm going to pause here to let you know that if you want more access to me, my content, and to the incredible humans I attract, my membership community Vital Life Project is where it's at. One of our members, Sunny, wrote in to say, when I step into a VLP circle, group chat, or live meetup, I can take a deep breath and remember that I am among like minds who will support and encourage my growth and exploration. She said, this allows me to feel like I am not alone on my journey. And that is my goal that you will feel a dimension of yourself finally exhale when you step into my field, your permission to own yourself, grow, and your practice of getting real about radical responsibility, strengthen, and that walking the sovereign victimless walk from health to relationships actually becomes delightful when you're with others doing the same. Join at the link in show notes and at kellybroganmd.com. Yeah, so the catharsis is exactly that, opening our channels, because otherwise nothing, nothing can flow. And the spontaneity is, just brings the easiness, right? Okay, here I'm ready. I'm ready for things to flow. Now, the emotional alchemy, when we go into that, so we were kind of, let's say, operating from the point of view of, let's take one emotion that we want to alchemize. Obviously, at every given moment, we have a million emotions (laughs) to alchemize. But working with one emotion at a time will help, right? Becoming more and more at ease because what happens is when we feel emotions that we feel we're not allowed to feel or we should be wrong to feel, the immediate reaction is to push it away. The reality of that is that we can't push it away we end up suppressing. So the idea of emotional alchemy, and in this case, through body, through embodiment practice, 
is to learn to feel the emotions in your body. There is a requirement there, which would be to also learn to disengage the story of that is linked to the emotion, right? Because there is a situation may have caused sadness to you. You will, if you associate the sadness to that situation, you will focus more on the situation than on the sadness itself. So you won't be able to alchemize the emotion because you're trying to fix the situation. The situation most of the time cannot be fixed. There's no fixing. There might be fixing, but you also, if there is a fixing, you won't find the solution from that place of trying to fix it when you're holding on to sadness or to whatever emotion it is inside. Now, on the other side of the sadness, because if you're trying to alchemize, what is the gold, <laughs> right? What is the gold? Is okay, is the joyful happiness eased in life? Okay, that's what we wanting. And there is a recognition there that is super important is understanding our lower emotions. And I'm calling lower not in a in a in a grading scale, but these are emotions that pulls us down, let's say, right? These lower emotions, they carry in them the the call, right? The desire for for something else. And so they are very important. They are like super, super important because it's like they are a seed. They show you what you want. They show you what you what is in a way, let's say, lacking or what you are desiring more of. So the embodiment practice that we did yesterday was to open the body to allow yourself to feel the emotion inside and to invite both emotions to to swirl let's say inside your body to move inside your body and let them resolve themselves you know let them play their game with each other and you make your body available through movement and through sounding to let these energies play their dance, play their game. And when that happens, then we begin to blossom more and more into, into the emotion that, that is more desired because now we are actually, cauldron was, was the imagery that I gave you. You become the cauldron for this alchemy to happen. And when you can hold all the ingredients in there, and in there also goes the shadowy parts of these emotions, right? The lower and the higher, they both have a shadowy part. You include every time you feel, but, but this is like, it's really, it's not a mental projection. It's really feeling every sensation in your body and allowing it, your body to move and allow flow to that energy. And it begins to alchemize. It's kind of like a magical process. It's hard to explain. It's really something, and you were saying, you know, like being in person and with that guidance was really helpful because it's something that takes time to, to really understand how, how do I stay in my body? How do I move with my body? Because we're not really used to that. But that's kind of the idea is really using the body as the cauldron that can, that can begin to transform these energies as we allow the energies to flow through. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of Peter Levine's work and somatic experiencing that speaks to these gestures or movements that our body wants to complete so that we can integrate, you know, old 
traumatic experiences, right? So like, you know, if I am looking to alchemize shame, there might be, you know, I, I focus on the experience of feeling that in my body and then my body wants to, you know, when you say movement, at least for me, like my body wants to contract. I want to look down. I like, I want yeah. to come into a shape. And once it's the shape has been allowed, then your body might want to move in a different way. Right. And there might be a sound or like a groan or a moan or something that goes with that shape. And right. So as you experience that you start to, and this is what you let us through, you start to feel for this little seedling of actually Kazi Urbaniak calls it the desire beneath the complaint, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a little, a little felt something that's, you know, if it's too loud, it's that you want quiet, right? You know, if you're, you're so lonely, it's that you want connection, right? It's, it's like these polarities. And so there's this little seedling and it, it was, that's what happened, right? Like I started to feel that, oh, this is the polarity that's here that wants to play and how can they coexist, right? In psychology, that's called the mixed object that is the arrival into adult consciousness when you can hold the both at Mm -hmm. once and then move into like, how does that, you called it like that blossoming, right? Want to be expressed and felt. It's beautiful process. Yeah, Um, it's really beautiful. And it really works. It's, It's really like a magical process in our bodies, in our, that we hold the medicine right here. As long as we are willing to feel, we are willing to allow it and to move it and to hold it. Yeah. yeah. And it takes like minutes. I mean, it's right. It, this does not need to be some like dedicated multi-hour experience. I mean, I like, you know, my phrases enter through the upset. So I like to take the real life opportunities in your lived experience to practice this alchemy and, you know, reference, like when you next feel an intense, unwanted emotion, you know, can you move into that with the intention to invite alchemy? And at least, you know, for us in this setting, it took minutes to move through that. And it's a practice, right? To begin to practice what it is to to work with a body as this crucible. So I want to talk to you about toning because, you know, as I explore this voice reclamation process, it's very easy to get sort of lured into transforming the screaming practices that I've done into something that feels beautiful and expressive. And it seems like, oh, well, those are the two things my voice can do. It can scream, you know, or it could sing pretty things. And the whole concept of toning is new to me. And as a form of medicine, right? That you create for you in the experience of you. I find it absolutely fascinating. And that's something that we played around with. So I'd love for you to share a bit about like, first of all, how you got turned on to this and how you have experienced it as a very particular kind of vocal reclamation that is in, you know, the spiritual medicine realm. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting. I was introduced to toning, maybe like 20 years ago, right? When I was first learning, like the first energy healing modalities that I got into, the teacher I had was actually really into toning. And I was introduced, but didn't really stick with me much, you know, until more recently, the past few years, it started showing up more through some, you know, more 
being introduced to some more shamanic practices and, and all this, and the toning began to come back. And as a sound healer, for me, it's interesting because when I do, when I used to do my sound healings and this, you know, for more than a decade now I've been working with this, is that I was always very quiet. I never wanted my presence to interfere with the field of sound that I was creating. You know, clients would say, wow, you move like a cat. I cannot even hear you in the room. I never know where you are, you know? And that was something like I was very proud of, you know? <laughs> and, and then what started happening is that the toning as a form of medicine began to come in. Initially for myself, just spontaneously, again, like this, I felt, as I was moving and alchemizing energies for myself, the toning would start coming and, and then the practice of allowing it and understanding with the toning, the beautiful thing is that it's not about how it sounds, especially when you're doing your own alchemy, especially then there are moments where it's going to sound pretty off and it's gonna sound kind of constricted or, you know, and these are the moments when the medicine is actually unlocking something, when the medicine is actually like shaking something up. So those moments are precious when the voice starts up and, you know, and then you know, it's like, wow, like we go moving through a block right here and you continue to tone and you continue to be in gratitude and appreciation for that energy and for that voice. And so it began like that for me, just through through my own inner practice, where really, and I shared a little bit about this yesterday, there have been alchemical processes for me where certain things that I couldn't really, let's say, correct, you know, in the 3D world, I could go into this quantum field with my toning and reorganize the grid, you know, and do a lot of work like that. So it would begin to be very helpful for my own personal practice. And what ended up happening was in my healing sessions, all of a sudden the voice became very prominent. And yeah, I remember the first time that it happened, I was trying to be quiet and then it was like, the toning is wanting to come. And for me, because I do energy healing, what the toning does is that it helps me help the person alchemize the energy. So I'm moving the energy that I'm facilitating through my tones also. And that began to happen. I remember I had to turn off the soundtrack <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And nowadays my healing sessions are mostly toning while I'm doing energy work and then of course with the instruments too but that became became like a really really huge practice and for me personally a huge reclamation of my voice and i feel that even in the way that that things have started shifting for me and it just always makes me remember my little girl you know my little girl used to sing almost 24 7. You know, I was singing, 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 singing all the time. And now when I'm finally, you know, allowing my voice to, to have its place, even in the medicine that I offer, it's a huge, huge reclamation. And it's so beautiful. And I feel that everyone, women in particular, but everyone needs this reclamation, you know, needs because the voice says so much 
And so I'm taking singing lessons now too, you know, a few like just here and there, just to also through the toning, it's interesting in that ceremonial space, there are sounds that come out of my voice that I can't predict and sounds that I didn't even know I could make. If I try to sing, it's a whole other process. It's a whole other process. Totally. And those are the two lanes that even I'm exploring, yeah. you know, because your instructions around toning were pretty simple, right? You basically were just like, start with a vowel and, you know, it can go anywhere from there into, into words or different kinds of sounds, but start with a vowel and just, you know, see what we worked with three centers in your body. Just see sort of like what a space in your body wants to express. I mean, it's like, it's that paralyzing blank canvas, you know, like what, Where's, what notes am I supposed to sing? You know, it's not that. And so the, the epic disruption that is simply allowing the space for free expression. I mean, it's intimidating and that's why it's a beautiful thing to also practice like on your own. Right. So we practice yeah. Yeah. in a, you know, in a group and I've started to play with it on my own and it's, it's that interesting self-consciousness that is like not warranted, right? Like if I'm by myself, who's watching, right? There's not even that other being necessarily and unwinding that self-consciousness just yeah. to see like what comes out is it's an essential part of the experience of oneself. And the only way we can ever really truly relate to one another as individuals rather than projection screens and, you know, tra trauma bond material. So I would love to, you know, cause you have such a huge toolkit of practices and you're such a mystic, you know, just by nature that I would love to, to ground all of this in a very practical recommendation, you know, that you might have to somebody who is maybe new, you know, to this concept or likes the idea, but is also sort of like, what the hell does that mean for whenever there is the awareness that we've gone out, right? Like you asked us in the beginning of the workshop, like when do you feel most disembodied, right? Like when do you feel most a no <laughs> to your body and whatever your body is doing and what in those moments, right? In those moments in life is something that you think is a quick and easy way to just sort of come back in. And then is there a daily practice? Yeah. Because I know that you are a very ritualistic woman and I know that your daily practice is, is hugely sacred to you. So is there a daily practice that, you know, you recommend people explore to start out? Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, this, even with the toning, right. Just going back a little bit with, with what you were asking before that initial thing of like what tone what is coming that liberation is in a way part of the cathartic moment for your voice right it's like i can sing whatever i can tone whatever i want once you go through that and your channel is open and you're more open to the spontaneity right which is open to be surprised by what comes then what one important part because this is a very important part to to kind of wrap up the, the the embodiment piece is the source where is the source of what is spontaneously moving through you yeah so it can be a source in your body like we we used you know the womb the heart but it's also beyond that if you can tap into a more mystical source, right? Like a more, you know, like really 
what is coming in and what is wanting to express. And that's so you begin through the catharsis and then there is the the piece of spontaneity being okay with freedom and the unknowingness of, of what wants to be expressed, not the unpredictability, and then the channel, right? Like that is one leads to, to the next. And what are you channeling? You don't have to be channeling, you know, extraterrestrial beings. You can if you want, but it's channeling your, your being, your own being that is so much larger than this and trusting that. So then that element of self-trust becomes so, so big, you know, so, so big. And, and what confidence will, does that bring, you know, and what ease does that bring into our life? As far as daily practice, I would say just spend time in nature, spend time connecting, really deeply listening inside. And the key number one to come back in is your breath. And by the breath, I mean your relaxed awareness of your breath, you know, just dropping back in and with each breath, just feeling more and more like you in your body, letting go of judgment and relaxing, relaxing, relaxing in your being. From there, moving into just even just trying to go about your day like that is a huge practice. It might last like one minute, right? But it's a huge. And if you want to incorporate movement and, and catharsis, movement and toning, I mean, you can find whatever ways that you want. I mean, shaking the body is easy. Yeah. Then begin to move. But really, the thing is really that internal awareness of, of the energies that are moving through you because embodiment, it's your physical awareness of your energetic being really that's i guess that would be a good way to decipher the word totally and i mean that's also how i think this application must be practiced right so it's the marriage of you know heaven and earth right it's the yeah. etheric and the worldly and it's like you said i mean just to move through your day with basic 10%, let's say of your awareness on your breath and a commitment to feeling whatever it is that you're feeling in any given moment. I mean, if I can put five minutes together, it's like an extraordinary experience. So to move through the day like that, right. To just have your householder experience with that degree of self-presence is itself you know, this yeah. sacred practice. So I love that. And you are such an endless wealth of wisdom and really applicable knowledge because you live this way. You know, I know you, I watch you and I know that you, you walk the yeah. walk and I'm just excited to be on this page with you and to be having this conversation in a more nuanced way with, with other women and people who, who are interested in the promise of, you know, whether it's like creative channeling or pleasure or manifestation, the promise that we know, like you said yesterday, and I say all the time, it's our birthright. We know that. Yeah. And so the sense of what is missing becomes this ache, becomes this pain that will invite forth this type of practice. So I love you and I will make sure that everything about what you're up to is in the show notes so that people can contact you for a deeper exploration of, of what we've covered here. Thank you, Kelly. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>